praying for one another, praying for that very special situation. Um, during this, the, the challenges of COVID, obviously, you know, the families that anybody that has someone in the hospital for any reason um, faces a very difficult moment just because they're limited, their accessibility to their loved one is very limited. So that's a whole nother moment of prayer right there for you to pray for families that are, um, you know, whether it be at the nursing home or whether it be in the hospitals. During COVID also, it's made it more difficult for us to connect with visitors who've been coming to our church. We ask you, if you don't mind, to fill out a visitor card and write a large check to First Assembly of God. We do ask you to fill out a visitor card. It's in the seat in front of you. We really would like to have a record. We've missed a lot of people that have come through because we're just kind of out of sync on that. Um, we really would like to have a record of your visit. God, we feel like God's doing some good things in a difficult season. Um, the spiritual warfare series could not be more um, needed at the time that, it, that we're going into it. You know, with the death of uh, Ruth Ginsburg yesterday, obviously or two days ago, obviously, you can see very, very quickly that this is going to be contention on the streets. And if there's contention on the streets, that means there's contention in the heavenly realm concerning the appointment of uh, the Supreme, next Supreme Court justice. So if you didn't think things were about to be volatile, you better go ahead and wake up and get ready because it's about to be volatile. But we need it to be volatile in the spirit. We need the people of God to be volatile. We say it often that we have weapons that are greater than any nuclear arms anywhere. And that's the power of prayer. And so I want to encourage you. So if you can't participate in li live and in person, make sure you watch. These guys that are, we're all in this together, we're all studying deeply. We're trying to learn and grow. And, um, and then also reawaken the call to spiritual warfare in all of our hearts. Right? Every one of us. I want to make sure, you know, that I, I play my part, whatever that is. Um, my part right now certainly is to, uh, I shared on Wednesday night, that for at least the next few weeks, I'm on an emphasis of the Holy Spirit. And obviously, we're a Pentecostal, charismatic fellowship. But that doesn't mean that everybody that walks through these doors understands what that means. I want you to learn. I want you to know. I want you to kind of understand what drives us as a fellowship. So, Last week, I, I shared with you a message, you know, what does it mean to be anointed? Because I just felt like that was, that was a term that we use, we talk about it. Um, it's part of the, uh, the vocabulary of the Pentecostal Fellowship. But if you're, you know, kind of new to the church, you really don't know what that means. You saw me be anointed with oil today right in front of your eyes. And obviously, that's what that means. Now, last week, I preached that to be anointed it's twofold. It means to be empowered, but it also means to be set apart, to be consecrated for God's purpose. So I made a statement that said so many people think that associated with Pentecostalism is this great emphasis on spiritual gifts, and that's true. But it starts with an awareness that God is holy. He has called us to be holy. He's called us to live a life that pleases Him in our actions, our character, our thoughts, how we relate to one another, and we want to be pleasing to God. And we pray for the anointing in our life. We want it to be fresh in our worship of God.
fresh oil is a uh, kind of an analogy there in Scripture. So today I'm going to transition, though, in this uh, just a little bit. That's not separating from. It's it's in conjunction with. What does it mean to be spirit filled? Now, I could have chosen what does it mean to be Pentecostal, which I'll explain that here in just a moment to you. But I want to ask you to turn with me to Numbers chapter number eleven. I'm excited to preach the Word of God. I, I've had personal uh, interactions with the work of the Holy Spirit in my life over the last few days as I have embraced a familiar subject. I've told you last week that, you know, every pastor or leader of our church that comes and ministers may preach a familiar subject, may even preach a familiar message, but we always gather it fresh. It's fresh to us. We want it to be, we want it to have a fresh fragrance on it, and I've got a, a number of messages in my sermon file. I do have a sermon file titled, What Does It Mean to Be Pentecostal? I, I do this on a regular basis because new people are coming in. But I, I, I went a totally different direction with it, but it was still, it's always good to just journey through this familiarity and, and, then, and then glean, you know, something new and fresh. So I chose a text of Scripture that goes all the way back to the Exodus journeys with the children of Israel during the wanderings of the wilderness. Now, I want you to see this with me, and I'm going to leave you seated today, and then we're going to just pray. It's already been powerful prayer made in this house, but I want you to see this because it's going to help us to start this journey together as we just look to what does it mean to be spirit-filled. I could have said, what does it mean to be Pentecostal? What does it mean to be charismatic? What does it mean to be full gospel? So those are all uh, words or phrases that are synonymous with being spirit-filled. So here... Moses said, I, verse 14, I am not able to bear, this, every pastor has prayed this prayer, just to be honest, I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And then Moses said, and if thou deal thus with me, kill me. Now, I haven't prayed that prayer very often. I've usually said, Lord, if you've got to take anybody out, never mind, let me move right on. If thou deal thus with me, he said, kill me, I pray thee, out of, the, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. Moses was aware of his own sinfulness, wasn't he, and the plight that he was in. And the Lord said unto Moses, verse 16, gather unto me. So God has an answer. How many of you know God's got an answer for every plight that we have? He does. He gives us wisdom. Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down, and I will talk with thee there, talk with thee there, and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and I will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. Now, obviously, Moses is pastoring a church of multiple thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands. Some say as many as two plus many million people, two plus million people in the wilderness journey. And this is the beginning of a structure of leadership to help him in their governance, to help uh, lead them both spiritually and also in just everyday judgment. Verse 24, though, begins to uh, paint this picture and let us see it. It's going to help you here today. Moses went out, told the people the words of the Lord, and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. 
And the Lord came down in a cloud, spake unto him, and took of the spirit that was upon him, and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. I mean, you know, when the spirit of God comes upon you, there's going to be an external manifestation of something that might begin internally, but it's going to move forward. There's going to be something. We call it evidential here in the Pentecostal movement. This moment here, the evidence that the Spirit of God rested upon them was that they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The, the name of the one was Eldad and the other was Medad. Probably brothers. Just think about that for the moment. Just, I'll let that go. And the Spirit rested upon them. And they were of them that were written... But they went not out into the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. So obviously you can see they didn't follow the instruction. So 68 gathered at the door of the tabernacle. Two remained in the camp. The Spirit of God came upon the 68 that was at the door of the tabernacle. But here it says, but the, also there were two uh, that did not go to the tabernacle, but the Spirit of God still rested upon them. And there ran a young man, told Moses, and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. Now notice what verse number 29 says, because that's going to begin to angle us in the direction where I want you to go with me today. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? What he's saying is, do you think that I'm the only one that needs to prophesy or have the Spirit of God? He said, would God. Here's a prayer. Here's a prayer that Moses prayed long ago. It's actually echoed and repeated to one degree by the Apostle Paul, the Moses of the New Testament. He said, would to God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Isn't that powerful? Where God is, through the prophet Moses, has revealed his will for all of his people, that the people of God would have the anointing of God the Spirit of God upon them. So today, now you can understand that I'm going to talk to you about what does it mean to be Spirit-filled. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, I do ask for your help today. Carnality, God, will not help us. Father God, the wisdom of men will not help us. We'll take the illumination of the Holy Spirit. It takes the power of understanding as given by your Spirit. Everything that's inside of me, like Moses, God, when I am this close to the burning bush, I'm immediately reminded of my own wretchedness, God, my own sinfulness. But I can't let that become a false sense of humility and rob me of the opportunity to be a mouthpiece to speak to the people today. The people need to hear what Moses said. They need to hear the word of prayer that Moses made. Father, we're going to pray that. We're praying that today. My prayer for all this congregation, for every person, for every person watching on Facebook Live, and that is, God, that you would put your spirit upon them all, that every one of us would have an anointing, that we would all know what it's like to be spirit-filled, have convictions and unctions of the spirit working in our life. And all of God's people said, amen. I'm going to take you without turning to this text because it helps you understand. So let me say this one more time. Through COVID, through Facebook Live, as you know, all of us pastors became televangelists overnight. 
just like that. And so we have suddenly been, our, our, what we believe has been exposed to a lot more people. And this is not exclusive to our church. This is kind of across the board in the body of Christ. Because all of us have family member or friends that you've talked about the Lord or you've talked with you about your church. And they maybe weren't able to come visit or wanted to, but were afraid to, whatever the case. But then they may have turned on a Facebook Live and now they're intrigued, and so we're having more and more people either come to our church or interact with us at some level. And at the always at the uh, heart of somebody's, you know, being inquisitive towards a an assembly of God church is what what is, what is this spirit filled thing? What you know? What what is this Pentecostal? What does that mean? Um, let me go ahead and so I'm gonna try to put this all together. Just if you can, if if you can journey with me. I want to take you just in theory, not necessarily turning the text, to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter number 2. So now we've, Jesus has died on the cross of Calvary. He's interacted with his disciples for 40 days following his resurrection. And he's promised them the coming of the Spirit. He's exhorted them to tarry at Jerusalem until they would be, what's the Bible say, endued with power from on high. Ten days later, bringing the total number of days from the time of his resurrection until the time of the coming of the Holy Spirit to 50 days. It says plainly in Acts 2, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. We are, labeled, we are part of a movement called the Pentecostal Churches. I won't take you today into the history of the Pentecostal Churches. I will next week. Pentecost, though, simply means 50th, 50 weeks. It was a, or 50 days of celebration from, excuse me, celebration of the children of Israel. It goes all the way back to the time of Moses and the children of Israel. It was a feast that followed the feast of first fruits. And 50 days or 49, seven weeks and one day was added that they celebrated the harvest of the wheat harvest. And they also became later in their traditions to celebrate the giving of the law on the day of Pentecost. That's the day when God chose to answer the prayer that Moses prayed in much greater, broader depth when he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So that was the prophecy that, that Peter quotes on that day. When, remember, when you got to go back and read that on your own. When all that's happening and the 120 men and women receive the power of the Spirit of God and so many people are in Jerusalem and they see this and they hear them declaring the wonderful works of God. Some are mocking them and saying, this is new wine. Peter, the apostle, lifts up his voice and says this. He quotes from Joel the prophet. This is that which was prophesied by Joel. He said, in the last days, God said, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Now, all flesh doesn't mean every living human being. All flesh means that all types of persons, whether you're male or female, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're old or young, read the context. Old men shall see visions, or, or excuse me, dream, dream. Young men will see visions. Upon my servants and ladies, he said, I will pour out of my spirit. They shall prophesy. So all flesh meant what you saw in the Old Testament with the anointing that we talked about last week. It was almost exclusively bound to the priest, the prophet, or the king. But God promised a generation, a new dispensation, a new season, when it doesn't matter you don't have to have a heritage of being in the kingdom. The moment that you get brought into this thing called the kingdom of God, that you can receive of the fullness of the Spirit of God in your life. 
All flesh. God said, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So the promise of receiving the gift of the spirit and this immediate audience was to their children and to all who were afar off. That was what Peter said when he culminated that sermon in Acts 2 and 39. And so when we follow the early church in Acts, we see the spirit at work in the lives of believers. Everybody that's read the book of Acts, you see God doing things, don't you? Jesus is in heaven. We know Jesus' ministry was filled with miracles and signs and wonders. He displayed the power of God. He cast out devils by the Spirit of God. He walked on water. He, st- he calmed storms. He healed people of all different types of diseases. And we would, might think in our mind, okay, when the Son of God is restored to the right hand of the Father in heaven, that there would be a closing of those miracles. But no, rather, Jesus himself prophesied and said, the works that I do. Shall you do also and even greater works than these because I go unto my Father. So when we study the book of Acts, we see it continuing. We see it continuing primarily in the lives of the apostles, but not exclusively because by the time the apostle Paul begins to write his epistles, he's addressing the works of the Spirit. So you on your own can go and read 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, and there Paul gives us teaching related to the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, the works of the gifts of the Spirit in the church. He said that they're all the gifts of God are given by the Lord for the common good of all. The gifts of the Spirit of God are for the edifying of the body of Christ and for the common good. And I want to say this about the gifts of God. These are not supernatural. Uh, these are, excuse me, these are supernatural workings of the Spirit. They're not human talent or gifting as some people want us to think. This is uh, people that have, do not have this ability. This is the Spirit of God that is transcending beyond the natural realm and revealing the perfect will of God and doing things that only God can do. As modern spirit-filled believers, we earnestly desire spiritual gifts, don't we? Isn't that a prayer that you should pray on your own? You're exhorted by the apostle, long for, pray for spiritual giftings. However, this is not a teaching on the spiritual gifts. Rather, it's an exhortation to you today. I hope today that through this message, this is a spark for you as an individual to begin to pursue passionately the presence of God in your life. So you can say with Moses, God, put your spirit upon my life. Being Pentecostal is more than just the gifts of the spirit. So today I got five things I'm going to share with you. What I believe. Being spirit-filled or being Pentecostal is. It's more than just talking in other tongues. Let me go ahead and bring clarity to you today. We believe in speaking in other tongues and interpretation. We believe in the prophet usage, often called the, uh, the prayer language. We also believe in the public usage that must be accompanied by interpretation to bring edification to the body. And for whatever reason, it seems like so many people think that that's all that we are about. I want you to know that is a part of what we are about. We're not, we're not ashamed of it. We embrace it. But at the same time, that's not all that we do. That's not all that we are. Number one, first and foremost, let me tell you what we are. We are expressionate worshipers. What does that mean, Pastor? I'm talking about that means we believe God is great and he is greatly to be praised. We believe that the psalmist said, let everything, as long as I got breath in my body, that as long as I have the ability to think and ponder and contemplate upon the goodness of God, as long as I got breath, then I want to praise the Lord. We're expressionate. So we have followed the pattern of the Jewish people. 
We have psalms of praise. We believe in spontaneous worship. We don't believe that worship ought to be tied to a 30-minute window to start a worship service on Sunday morning. But every day that you get up, you ought to say, Today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will celebrate the Lord. I will clap. I will dance, yes, I know, in days gone by, you used to dance at the club, but when you get spirit, uh, filled with the Spirit, somebody said, Pastor, do I have to give up dancing? No, all you got to do is change partners. That's all you got to do. And so you become a dancer before the Lord. Say, Pastor, I'm too cool for that. Well, no, well, maybe you'll be cool and cold because you won't have the fresh anointing on your life. I don't know about you. I, I'm unashamed. David was the coolest man I know in the Word of God. And yet at the same time, he came dancing and leaping and rejoicing before the Lord God. He also wrote in Psalm 47, clap your hands. All ye people, listen to this, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. So we exhort you on a regular basis around here. Joe's already said it today. Open your mouth. Put some expression in it. A shout is a war cry. It's saying, I'm engaging the adversary, but it's also a victory celebration. Come on now. It's saying, I recognize the victory's mine through Christ, and I'll lift up my voice in the name of Jesus. By worship or through worship, we bring God glory. And in doing so, we connect to His Spirit. His Spirit is joined with our spirit. Hasn't He? We also believe in Psalm 8. Verse number two, you will learn this along the journey that we'll make in spiritual warfare that we believe that praise has at least a threefold purpose. Number one is to bring glory to God. Come on now, bring glory to God. Sometimes I can't bring glory to God because there's of certain things, but you know what? Through worship, I can always bring glory to God. I can exalt His name and celebrate Him. Number two, it does allow my spirit to commune with the Father. Through worship. I'm, I'm joined by the power of the Holy Spirit. But a mystery about praise is that it will also silence the adversary. Psalm 8 verse number 2 says, Through the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. And it says, And through this, paraphrasing, it will silence the accuser. So let me tell you, let me tell you what the enemy is. He's an accuser. He speaks lies. He accuses the people of God. But the thing that will shut him up, that will cause him to go sit down in the corner and pout like a two-year-old, is when you, as a child of the Most High God, begin to lift up your mouth in praise and adoration and celebrate the glory of God, then he's got to close his mouth and move over to the corner and just be silent. So that's why we teach you. We worship when we're victorious. We dance and rejoice over the good things that God has done in our life. But even when our heart is somber, even when our heart is sullen, even when we've gone through travail and hurt and we haven't come out on the other side of the trial, we still teach you to come in this house and lay before God and pour out your soul in, in praise and expression and worship to God. That's what we do. You know why that's what we do? Because that's who we are. As spirit-filled believers... We are first worshipers with expression and praise to God. Number two, we stand upon the B-I-B-L-E. Come on, now that's the book for me. I stand, if I have to, I'll stand alone. 
upon the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. But listen to this. We read it. You say, well, I read it too. We study it. You study it too. We meditate upon it, but not just for historical information. Listen, I read the Word because I want to renew my mind to holy living. I want to know what pleases God and what doesn't please God. I want to know what direction He wants me to go. I read the Word because I want to be changed into the image of Jesus. Last week, I preached at the conclusion of my message, and I held my hands like this. And I was alluding to the passage of Scripture that speaks about the Word, shame being as a mirror. And the Bible says that as we look into the mirror, we're changed into the same image of Jesus. And so what is that Word? What is that mirror? It's the Word of God. So we look into it. The perfect law of liberty is how James addressed it. And we have a desire in our heart that as I study, as I read, and I meditate upon the Word of God, I'm changed into the image of Jesus. I learn about God. I want to learn about the Lord every day. There's no place that you will ever arrive on this side of eternity where you sit on the mountain and say, I have surmised it all and I know it all about God. Every day I can learn more about Him. And when I learn more about God, I want you to know there's an empowerment in my life. I learn about His purpose in Christ. And as I learn about His purpose in Christ, let me tell you what happens. Faith comes because I hear the Word of God. Romans 10 says, faith comes. I said, Pastor, increase my, how do, I increase, how do you increase your faith? By hearing the Word. By hearing with the Spirit of God. We believe His Word to be living and active. We believe the Word of God will illuminate, be, uh, will illuminate our path. The Bible says this, that God corrects us through His Word, and He often directs us through His Word. David said, it's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I've had many instances in my life where I didn't know what to do, situations in front of me, and I got alone, not with the counselor, I got alone with God in my Bible, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, I know every answer to my situation is found in the Word of God, and the Spirit of God can direct my eyes to a text of Scripture that will give me the wisdom that I need, that will give me the wisdom that I need to know what the will of God is for my life. There is a sign there is a, a picture that was painted for me that's in my office. And there's a quotation that was painted on it from uh, Haggai chapter number 1, verse number 8. And it says this. It says, go up into the hill country and build my house. Go up into the hill country and bring wood and build my house. And I will take glory in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Many years ago, I was at Little Rock Air Force Base. And I was struggling about my future. And I was praying. I had between me the choice of being a career in the military, but I had a desire to come up here somehow, some way, to be in the Lord's uh, kingdom and work in the, what I call the hill country, as you hear us say it so often, of north central Arkansas. And when my family was asleep between services on a Sunday afternoon, I got alone with God and I said, God, I've got to have a word. And I turned to Haggai 1 and 8 because I didn't know what direction to go. And the Lord said, I want you to go up into the hill country and bring wood and build my house and I will take pleasure in it and and I will be glorified. And from that day till this day, I've given my entire life to coming up into the hill country and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Spirit-filled ministry in the hills to be a blessing to the people of God. And God directed my path by quickening the word of God in my life. His word is health to all our flesh. It's the greatest medicine you can take. 
Come on, it's health. Let me say it one more time. Y'all didn't catch that. It's medicine to all your flesh, the Word of God is. Jeremiah the prophet says, it's the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. His Word reveals His covenant promises. And you know what? His Word is the sword of the Spirit. I learned to wage my warfare against the enemy, and I'll close on that point in a moment by understanding that when I weave, when I, when I wage, when I, when I pull out that sword of the Spirit, I'm telling you, it's just like Jesus. When he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he withstood our adversary by speaking the Word of God, nothing has changed. When you, with the anointing, speak the Word of faith, then the devil's got to flee just like he did with Jesus. Number three today, what does it mean to be spirit-filled? It is to believe in God's supernatural working in our lives daily. I'm not talking about just when we come to the front. I'm not talking about when I have a crisis moment. I'm talking about that God works in, he works in my life. He makes himself known. Can I say that one more time? God makes himself known in our lives. I believe that supernaturally God will give you prophetic unction when you need it. He'll give you angelic intervention. He'll put supernatural protection over you. There will be miracles in your life that will honor him and will bless you and it will display his glory for all the world to see. He will make himself famous again. God will make himself famous again in our lives. Miracles are not just to steal the storms or they're not just physical healing. I celebrate with Ruth. What do you mean? Is there a miracle? Yes. Ruth came back from the land of Moab with Naomi and she was impoverished. She didn't have the ability to, 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 to get food. But she went out in the field and gleaned. But Boaz took notice of her, asked his servants to leave something in the field for her. And she didn't have nothing. And all of a sudden, they piled grain in her arms. Let me tell you, when God leaves you a blessing, when somebody sends you a card, when somebody comes over and whispers a word of encouragement in your heart and life, when something that comes unexpected, it is expected because you expect God to make himself known in your daily life. He just does it. You know why? Because you and I are not alone here today. We may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we will fear no evil because he is with us. Come on, say that. He is with me. He tabernacles among us. His spirit dwells in us. He came to us by his spirit. He said, I won't leave you alone. You won't be an orphan. I'll come amongst you, and I will come, I will come into you and dwell there amongst you. He came to us by his spirit, and, and the apostle Paul said, let me tell you about what God is able to do. Say, Pastor, when I think about what God can do in my life, you know, sometimes I reach a threshold. I reach a certain place and say, that's where, he, that's where he's at, and there is no more. Let me say, Paul said, when you're thinking about what God can do in your life, let me tell you, he said, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. Man, I feel Jesus right there. I'm going to run right there. That's why we stood right here with hands stretched out and said, God, we're going to send the word to a dear friend of ours in the hospital in Lubbock, Texas. Because we know doctors are limited. We know we're limited, but we serve a God that is not limited. You are able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything I can think or even ask you. You are able to go far above it. According to the power 
that's at work within you. That's why you need the anointing of God on your life. That's why you need the Spirit of God upon your heart and life. Our lives have supernatural expectation. Can I say that? I don't think everybody caught that, Shane. What does that mean? Supernatural expectation. That means I am never, absolutely, I will never be in a hopeless situation. Because with God, there's always hope. Right? And so I have a supernatural expectation that when I've reached my limit, others have reached their limit, but it's never beyond the limit of God. It's never beyond his ability to reach down. That's a hope that Pentecostal, spirit-filled believers have. We believe that God has always appeared to his people, raised up his people, worked amongst his people, protected his people, provided for his people, and directed his people because he works in the everyday lives supernaturally. David said this about God. This was David's expectation. This is my expectation. I tell you this, it was Smith Wigglesworth that said this, but I want to echo his words. He said, on the, he said, I'm of this stature in the natural realm, but in the spirit, he said, I'm 10 foot tall. So, you know, we preached a few weeks ago about the Nephilim, the giants that were in the land. And you remember how intimidated the Israelites were because they said they were as grasshoppers in our eyes and we were as grasshoppers in their eyes. But let me tell you today, when you got the anointing of God upon your life, when the enemy sees you, he thinks you're the giant because of the Spirit of God working in your life, the power of God working inside you. And so here's a testimony that David said. David said, by my God, I'm going to run through a troop. And by my God, put a wall. Put a wall around me. Box me in. Hedge me in. I serve a God that if I get right to the edge of it, I'll just leap up over that wall by the power of God. That's why I just believe we need radical faith, radical expectation that God will work in our lives in all kinds of ways. God worked with Moses, with Aaron, with Joshua, with Gideon, with Samson, Deborah, Barak, Ruth, Elijah, Elisha, on and on. Why is their testimony recorded in the Word of God? Why? Why is it? It's because God gave his testimony, gave their testimony to encourage you. He is not a respecter of persons. Come on, I believe faith is rising up in somebody's heart here today. For spirit-filled believers, you know what you and I are? We are grafted into the olive tree. I love Romans 10 and 17. It's just one of my favorite verses of Scripture that says that we were grafted in to the olive tree and we draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. That olive tree was God's dealing with ancient Israel. And God, in this covenant that we call grace, this new covenant, God said, I'm going to tear down the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile, and I'm going to make of one new man. And you that were afar off and you were that near, he said, now, he said, you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. I could preach it with all my heart. Did you know royal blood flows through your veins today? See, they may have told you you're a nobody, but God said you're more than, he said, you're not just somebody, you're someone special in my eyes. You're in the kingdom of God, you are the offspring of God, you are the heir, come on, 
that one day we will judge angels. You'll learn that as you go into this supernatural warfare. The angels that Peter said, they desire, the angels right now desire to look into the salvation that now you possess in Christ Jesus. And so don't go to bed at night in despair and sorrow, downcast with the weight of the world upon you. Get up and say, you know what? I know who I am in Christ Jesus. And he that has raised me up has made me to sit down together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and the spirit of the living God is upon me and the anointing of God is upon me and every day of my life I can expect God to work supernaturally in my life I wrote it this way he orders our steps he directs our paths he instructs us corrects us he's an ever-present help in the time of trouble he always gives hope he always brings peace he always assures us he gives us grace compassion and love the writer said, we are his and he is mine. He brings me back to his banqueting table and neighbor, his banner over you is love today. I want you to know he's before me, he's behind me. He's ever at my side. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. And even like Job, Job said this with limited understanding. He said, though he slay me, he said, but I'm still going to trust in him. That's who God, and I expect God to work. Did you know that's what spirit-filled believers do? We expect God, don't we? We just expect God to work in everyday life. Number four today, are y'all out there? We want all things in our life to glorify God through Christ. And these are just little bullet statements, but I want you to think about that. To be spirit-filled, to be a part of the Pentecostal movement, the charismatic movement, spirit-filled believers, these are certain principles, whether we talk about them all the time or not, may not be the case. These are things, fundamental truths to all of us that are a part of this movement that we just want to see these things working in our heart and life. And there's something inside of us that says, God, I want to glorify you through Christ. Through Christ. So let me say it this way. We are, without hesitation, Jesus people. Come on now. Toby Mac said, I'm a bona fide Jesus freak. Man, now listen, I'm preaching way better than y'all shouting. You can call me whatever you want to as long as you call me a Jesus freak. I'm a Jesus freak today. I stand in awe of him. In my private devotions, when I worship God in my office yesterday, when the Spirit of God, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God doesn't just fall on you in church. If He does, then you're not Spirit-filled. But when I was preparing my heart yesterday, the Spirit of God came upon me. I got up out of my seat and I fell prostrate in my office and symbolically in my mind, I said, Lord Jesus, I want to be like Mary here today. I want to hold your feet. I want to cling them. I want you to feel the tears out of my eyes on your feet. And Lord, then let me lay my head on your bosom where I can hear your heartbeat like the beloved John did, God, because I love Jesus today. Did you know the author said that God in times past spoken to us by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken unto us by his son. He's the brightness of his glory. He's the express image of his person. You say, Pastor, I want to see God. Well, then look to the bleeding, dying Savior on a tree, and you'll see him, because if you see Jesus, you'll see the Father. In him I live, in him I move, and in him I have my very being. Did you know today I am crucified with Christ? Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, 
But the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. I thank God today I preach Christ crucified. I preach the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. How is it the power of God that you and I can see a humble man beaten and broken and dying on a tree? But when you understand the mystery of God, that he's dying in my stead, that no man took his life from him. He said, I have the power to lay my life down, and I have the power to take it up again. And to the Jew, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greek, it's foolishness. But unto us which are saved, he is the superhero of all superheroes. He is the God of all gods. He's the Lord of all lords. And we love God through Christ. Christ today. Man, I get excited when I talk about Jesus. Did you know Pentecostals, spirit-filled believers, have the most success in addiction ministry? Did y'all know that? The greatest success in all the world today of seeing men and women delivered from the bondages of addiction is in spirit-filled ministry. And you say, Pastor, why is that? Because we just get them addicted Come on now, we just teach them. You used to have to sell your body. You used to have to steal, borrow, and cheat to get a high. But when you put your faith in God through Christ and you receive of the wonders of the power of the Spirit of the living God, there is a euphoria. Come on, there's a dance, there's a song, there's a feeling, there's all kinds of human emotions involved. We have the power of the presence because we get people addicted to Jesus. So we glorify God through Christ. Angels bow down to him. He prevailed over death, hell, and the grave, and he's seated on the right hand of God. And we glorify God through Christ. That's what it means to be spirit-filled. Man, I love Jesus today. I'm unashamed to tell you I'm a Jesus freak. I just wish I had somebody here today. They said, Pastor, I'm right there with you. I shake my head at times. And I, you know what? I'm actually, well, uh, Jace gave a little bit of his testimony a few weeks ago. But I want, y'all don't know this about me because I've been radical the whole time. I've been here with you. But see, I wasn't born this way. I was the guy that would sit at the back of the room quiet. I was that person. I could just blend in, be lost in the crowd. I didn't have to lift up my voice. But I was 17 years of age when the Spirit of God came upon my life. And it radically changed everything about me. And it brought me an unction and an anointing. It put a conviction in my heart. I would walk differently from that day forward. And I would have the power and the presence of God. I was quiet. I didn't have a, a boldness. I didn't have a confidence. But when the anointing of God gets upon you, then you know through Christ you can do great exploits for the glory of God. It will radically change your life. And in closing today, all I'm trying to do for you today is be a spark. If he did it in our lives, come on now, he'll do it for you. There are people under the sound of my voice. They know the dark world of addiction. They know the bondage of addiction. And God's brought them out. There are people with personalities similar to myself or to Jesus what made us quiet and reserved, but now the Spirit of God's changed us, and we're open in our worship and adoration, and we don't care who looks upon us. And so God can radically change your life, but you've got to embrace the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to. 
Number five today, what does it mean to be spirit-filled? Fifthly, lastly, going to kind of tag team with, the, with our uh, series very quickly, but it means that we believe and we engage in spiritual warfare. Hmm. Did you know by the power of the Spirit we discern devils? By the power of the Spirit we wrestle against spirits, evil spirits. By the power of the Spirit of God we tread on serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. And we are confident that nothing shall in any wise harm us. By the power of the Holy Spirit we shine the light into the darkness and we expect the darkness to be driven away. Come on, we submit to authority and then we exercise His authority. We do. Come on, we are under authority and we are in authority. Let me tell you about your adversary, the devil, today. He's a liar and the father of all lies. There is no truth in him. Come on, he was a murderer from the, be the beginning and he abode not in the truth. And therefore he was cast out of the presence of God. But we are exhorted by the apostle Paul's pen to give no place to the devil. Can I say that one more time? This is my last point now. Here, and that is that we engage in spiritual warfare as spirit-filled believers. We give no place to the devil. Let me write it. I wrote it this way, not for one minute. Come on, when he speaks a lie in our mind, we pull it down in the name of Jesus. When we hear a voice that says something that's contrary to what we know and what we believe to be the revealed will of God according to the word of God, we rebuke that in the name of Jesus and pull it down. That's what spiritual warfare is. And we'll teach you about that in the weeks ahead if you'll go with us. Because we say, you know what? The enemy, Satan, you savor not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. But we want our lives to bring him glory. And we believe that when God does great things in the life of his people, then that makes him famous. And we want to make God famous in our generation. When Jesus, I was thinking about this, we mentioned this. When Jesus' disciples rejoiced over their victory over devils. Anybody remember that? We alluded to it on a Wednesday night. Because we were trying, might have been this Wednesday, because we're trying to make sure we have balance here as we go into this study. But let me go ahead and retrace that step for just a moment. In that moment, Jesus had given his 70 disciples power, not the 12, the extended 70. And we'll teach you more about why that is, but we'll in the days ahead. But he gave 70, they went and preached the gospel, and they did the same works that Jesus did. And they were kind of surprised that when they got back, because they had saw Jesus exercise devils. And now they spoke his name. Well, there's power in the name of Jesus. Come on, there's power in that wonderful name. They spoke his name and the devils departed the same way they did when Jesus was present. And so they are excited, they're perplexed, amazed. They come back, they, co they gather together as a collective group. And the, and the kind of the synopsis of the moment is, Lord, kind of like this with their eyes, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through your name. Now, we brought balance to you because Jesus did. He said, don't rejoice. He said, don't rejoice. He said that devils are subject unto you through my name. Now, he pre preceded that by saying, I saw Satan fall from heaven as lightning. And he said, I give you power to tread on serpents. This is my last point. Y'all stay with me. I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. But don't get caught up in that because you can get arrogant, proud, boastful, and that just gives the enemy habitation in your life. He said, but rather rejoice that your name, come on, is written in heaven. But you know what? We often stop and don't read the next verse. But in that same hour, Jesus got alone, and he had a little moment with God, and he said, Lord, I don't want them to see me doing this, 
Lord, I want, I want to give you thanks because you have hidden this from the wise and the prudent, and you've revealed it unto babes. He was stirred in a spirit that other men and potentially women would have received of the same power that was on him. Remember what God told Moses? Come on now, remember what God told Moses? I will take of the spirit that's upon you, and I'll put it on how many? Seventy. And now Jesus is seeing that prophetic prayer being repeated in his generation and he got alone and had a little one-man worship service and said, I know the men that are in the castles and in the courts of the, of the Caesars and of the, of the Pilots and of the Herods and of the governors, they may not understand this. And behind Judaism and in the tabernacle and in the temple, they may not know it either. But this little group of men and women, they've had revelation that devils are subject unto us through the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, Lord, I just want to say thank you. Because you're still answering the prayer of Moses. Let me close with this real quickly today. One thing that bothers me, that bothers me about the, the secular world, is that the secular world, now I don't watch scary movies and you ought not either. I'll say that with a great conviction in here. There's, but I do know that the scary movies, there's so many evil things. We're going to talk about that in the days ahead. But they oftentimes show the devil, demonic powers, as great in power and the church is weak and anemic. We can't ever get any victory or breakthrough in these strong, powerful demons and devils. My mom and dad, and I'm going to tell on them today, when I was a kid, took me and my sister to the drive-in movie theater, and we watched Amityville Horror. Papa's still here, so if you don't get on to anybody, I'm just a child. But I can remember one part of that movie, and the particulars of that movie was a house possessed because a murder had taken place in there years earlier. And the new family moved in, and stuff started happening. <laughs> Come on now, this is way, this is, they got television shows about that now. And so stuff started happening, and they were like freaking out just a little bit, and they tried to a little bit. So they called the Catholic priest. And they weren't there. They just said, well, we'll get the Catholic priest. He'll come over, and he'll just sprinkle some holy water, say a few words. And so they were gone somewhere, and the Catholic priest, he came in. He started pulling out his little holy water, doing his thing. And all of a sudden, he starts hearing things. Flies start buzzing. Stuff starts moving. He starts getting agitated. And all of a sudden, this voice says, get out. Get out. And the priest shimmied out of that house. He ended up in an insane asylum. And you know what the problem was? They went to the Catholic priest for deliverance. You know where they should have went? They should have went down to a little Pentecostal church somewhere. And they should have found a little, bit, a little group of spirit-filled women praying in a prayer service. And they should have went in there and said, Grandma, I need you to come back to my house. And grandma would have came in with just a little stick like this. And in those days, all the ladies had their hair up in a bun. And they would have had a little needle in it. And she would have been walking through that house. And that same voice would have said, get out. And grandma would have said, pull that pin out. And she would have squared her shoulders back. And she would have said, somebody fix to go. But it ain't going to be me. 
Because I come in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit of the living God. And devil, you ain't got no place. You ain't got no right. This is my children's house. And I command you, I feel Jesus in this house. See, we're not limited by physical appearance because we got the Spirit of God upon our lives. I'll close with this final story. I feel like storytelling today. Because I want you to know today, to be spirit-filled, you're a part of crazy folks that believe in the name of Jesus that we got power over an invisible force called the devil. And we don't live in fear. We will not be intimidated. And we will not be tormented. They're called tormented spirits. Tormenting spirits because they torment people that don't know who they are in Christ. But when you know what he's done and you're full of the Holy Ghost, you'll drive the devil out in Jesus' name. Lastly, I close. It's a familiar story to me. I've told it multiple times in this church. We have so many new people coming in. One of my heroes of faith, Dr. Brassfield, was Dr. Lester Sumrall. Dr. Lester Summerall died, I believe, in 1996. Dr. Lester Summerall was born in Alabama, received his call to ministry, didn't he, Shane? A particular or deeper call to evangelistic ministry in, in was it, what was it, Eureka Springs, where he met Howard Carter on that journey. I think it was right here in Arkansas. He became what's known as a missionary evangelist. And before he died, he had preached in over 110 nations of the world. Many times by horseback, many times by train, many times by foot, going all around the known world, preaching under the full power of the Spirit of God in the early days of the Pentecostal movement. And they saw signs and wonders, cast out devils. He was walking through a crowd in Java when a person grabbed a hold of him in the middle of the crowd and said, I've got a white spirit in me and you've got a black spirit in you. And Dr. Summerall looked at him and said, I got the power of the name of Jesus in me, and you got a devil in you. Come out in Jesus' name. That was part of course for their ministry. But he told this particular story. He was in Central America as a missionary. Central America, and how many of you know there's a lot of voodooism, a lot of witchcraft, and that stuff is real deal. And it's not just in the jungles anymore. It's right here in the concrete jungles of America anymore. And Dr. Brass, or excuse me, Dr. Summerall was a younger man at that time, and there was a, he came across a witch doctor. And the witch doctor, way to control people, oftentimes he would take a living frog and the blood of a cow and alcohol and open the mouth of the frog, pour it in the frog's mouth, close it, hold it tight, clamp it tight, and then open it up and drink that concoction to bring demon spirits and empower his life. Dr. Dr. Summerall somehow or another came in contact with him, and Dr. Summerall laid his hands on him and said, I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus Christ. Come out of the man. And miraculously, by the power of God, the Spirit drove that devil out of him. He fell prostrate before Dr. Summerall, and he began to speak in other tongues. Read it on his own testimony, on your own. I believe it's recorded in Dr. Summerall's book, My Story to His Glory. And he was miraculously delivered by the power of God. Now, you could write a book right there, couldn't you? Many of us would live a lifetime have, hoping to have a testimony like that. Dr. Summerall went back to his room. He was in the Central American jungle. It's very hot and humid. He got come time for bed. He had, the windows were open because there was no air conditioner where he was staying. He laid down to sleep. And he said everything began to change. 
He said, uh, suddenly the hot humidity was driven away by a cold, clammy feeling. And then the, the, the curtains that were on the rods in front of the window, the open window, began to shake like this. And the curtain blew in. And he said he felt the very same presence of that same evil spirit. His bed began to shake. It shook all the way out into the middle of his bedroom. And he could discern by the spirit that this was the same devil that he had driven out of that man earlier in the day. He rose up in the power of the spirit. That's why we try to teach you to be vocal. Lift up your voice. You can't just meditate the devil gone. You command him to leave. Dr. Summerall said, devil, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he said, get out of here. And he said that, he said, all of a sudden everything changed. He said the cold clamminess left. The curtain stopped moving as it did. Everything seemed to settle back in. Dr. Uh, Summerall laid his head back down on his pillow, thought for a moment and said something ain't quite right, raised his head up and said, devil, get back in here. He said that the curtain began to move. The presence, that cold, clammy feeling uh, filled the room again. And Dr. Summerall, just, uh, later just an aged man, now he's a young, at this time he's a young man. He said this to the very spirit that he drove out earlier in the day. He said, devil, before you came in here, my bed was against that wall. Now I command you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you put it back to the glory of God. I want you to know today, as spirit-filled believers, we have power against the devil. Glory to God. Listen, let me tell you, don't you sit back and let the devil come in and steal, kill, and destroy in your family when you have authority, power, and dominion. And you hang around, around spirit-filled folks long enough, you're going to get some of what we got over on you. Because God will take the anointing. Off of Moses. He'll take that anointing and he'll put it on you. Because he said, would to God. Listen to the prayer of the aged man of God, Moses. Moses the prophet that was raised up, uh, that Jesus himself would be akin to the prophetic ministry of Moses. He said, would to God that God would put his spirit upon all his children. And that all of us would prophesy. That's what it means to be spirit filled today. It means you're a part of a family of faith, a fellowship of believers who believes that with God all things are possible. He's got a sacred anointing. Would y'all stand up with me today for just a few moments? I don't know what time it is. I'll look. Now it's 1130. I've probably been preaching a little bit in overtime today, probably about 55 minutes. But I want to thank God for his presence today. Come on now. Let's just pray. Let's let our heads be bowed and eyes closed for just a moment today. Just a moment. There may be somebody here today under the sound of my voice that just says, Pastor, you know, you preached especially that part where you was talking about Jesus. And my heart was being warmed in such a way. And it may be that the Spirit of God is exposing to you that you have never made Christ the Lord of your life. You've never submitted. You've never surrendered. You know about God. You know about Christ. But you've never really made him the Lord. You've never surrendered all that you are to him. But God's calling you today. He's calling you. I'm not Billy Graham here today. But I can still give an altar call. And I can say God's calling you today. He's calling you. Is there anybody here in the sound of my voice that would say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Pray with me, Pastor. Pray with me today. As I'll surrender my heart and life to Jesus Christ. 
Is there anybody here today who's praying? Church family, are you praying for just a moment? It's quiet. Didn't have the musicians on the, on the stage. That's fine. Doesn't take, that's all good, but we don't have to have it for you to be responsive to the work of the Holy Spirit. Number two here today. Number two, who here with me would say, God, put your spirit upon my life. Put your spirit. Take of the spirit of God that's upon Yeshua, Jesus, and put it upon my life. Slip your hand up. Say, God, I need your presence. I want more of your presence. God, I want to be anointed of God. I want the power and the presence of a living God. Come on, who will pray that with me today? Hands are gone up all over the building today. It's fresh. I, I, I started the message by saying there are so many in our fellowship. Listen, let me tell you today, if you want to come to this altar and pray, I've told you weeks ago, I want to encourage you. COVID or no COVID, these altars are open. They're open. For you to come and find a place of prayer. But you can also pray what where you're at. I'm not trying to say one is greater than the other. I'm saying God meets you where you determine to meet him. I want to pray for God to put a fresh anointing on all of our lives. To take us deeper into the presence of God. To explore the greater works of his spirit. The testimony of God. Come on, to just believe, to be a believing body of believers. Dear, I think you should come and play for just a minute because we're going to pray. We're going to make this a holy consecration for a moment of time. I do, do want to say, I don't know what if that's me. I do want to say that God, I believe, his desire has not changed. His desire, the heart of God, is to put greater depth of the work of his spirit in the lives of all his children. All of us. Isn't that what Moses prayed? Moses said, would to God that all of God's people had the spirit of God upon them. I didn't make this. Did you notice? I didn't make this. A doctrinal message. I wasn't trying to teach you the theology of the assemblies of God. I just was hoping to be a spark. My life changed, but something sparked inside me that said, Lee, you need this. And I began to seek it deeper. I sought the Lord deeper, more intently. Does anybody remember Jesus praying in Gethsemane? The Bible says on the second prayer, he sought the Lord more earnestly who will pray more earnestly today say God help me put a fresh anointing God I see what I I want to ask you to just begin to pray I'll pray over you you know my family because I'm the father of six children many times they ask me to pray over them and I do I'm your spiritual father today and and I will pray over you but you got to pray with me You've got to invoke God yourself. You've got to say, God, help me. Fill me. Fill me unto overflowing. Give me a fresh anointing in my life. Dr. Brassfield, I called your name a few weeks ago, and I said, you know, when Dr. Brassfield preached right as COVID started here, we got back to church, he said, you know, if there's ever a time when we need the anointing of God and to be filled with the Spirit, now's the time. 
And you know what? That could not be more true. All of us. Pastor, I've been in the Pentecostal church for 60 years. Good. You've got a testimony to be able to share with others. But you still need a fresh anointing on your life. You need a fresh consecration. Pastor, well, I don't speak in other tongues as of yet. I'm not trying to go there today. If that happens, I'm for it. I'm 100% for it. But don't let that limit you. See, so many people think, well, if I don't speak in other tongues, then the Spirit of God's not working. No, 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 no. Listen, we believe in many different ways that the Spirit of God comes and moves on the lives of His people. So, Lord, today we're here to pray. Come on, are y'all praying with me right now? We're just saying, God, this is my moment. This is my moment to just have a fresh, renewed, passionate pursuit after the presence of God. Your word says to earnestly desire the best gifts. I long, Father, for you to do something deeper. Deeper in my heart, deeper in my life. I need the power of God. Our church needs the power of God. I'm praying with you today. Church family, I confess, I need the power of God. I need your power, power in my life. I can't be, I can't pass. I'm like Moses. I don't have two million people, but the few hundred that we have, I can't do it, God, unless your anointing's upon us, unless there's other men and women to help shoulder this burden, God. Father, I can't do it. Father, it takes your spirit equipping all of us to accomplish the will of God. Father, we need your anointing. We make known our plight. We make known our plea, God. We make it known to you. And now as the pastor of this fellowship, I'm going to begin to bless the people, God. I want to begin to, Father God, not just pray for them, but to prophetically speak the life of God over them. Father, I speak the power of the Spirit upon them. God, I pray for impartations of the work of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, the unction and the anointing, God, the people that have longed for God, I bless them today. Give them the very desires of their heart. Father, I speak hope and favor and faith and unction and anointing. Give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Let their eyes be enlightened. Let them know the hope of your calling and the riches of the glorious inheritance that they have in Christ Jesus. And let them know the exceeding greatness of your power to us who believe. So God, today, let them know. Let them experience. God, in a time of darkness, let them be light. In a time of uncertainty, let them be solidified in the truth. God, I pray that over them today, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, let my church family, God, go out of this room today and be honest in this, in this assessment. That my encounters with the power and the presence of God and the supernatural will never, ever be bound exclusively to a worship service. It will never be bound to just this moment that we call church. But it will be in every day of my life. I'll have an expectation of the supernatural that you're working in me and you're working through me. So God, I bless the people today. As long as anyone wants to pray, they can pray. As long as they want to kneel and worship God, they can worship God. But if they must and need to be dismissed, God, I'm going to dismiss them. Father, I'm going to dismiss them trusting that this message has been a spark in their heart, in their lives, in their mind, and in their understanding, God, and that it is your sovereign will that all of your children be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we are a spirit-filled people, and we are thankful for it in Jesus' name. 
All God's children said today, amen and amen.